This is a podcast by The Straits Times. Hi, welcome to Health Check. I'm Joyce Teo, a senior health correspondent with The Straits Times. Today, we're going to talk about healthy aging. It's an evergreen topic that's even more relevant today, given that Singapore's population is rapidly aging. While aging is the most common and biggest risk factor for most chronic diseases, including Alzheimer's disease, cardiovascular disease, frailty, most forms of cancer, and diabetes. So we've invited Professor Brian Kennedy, the director of the NUHS Centre for Healthy Longevity, to talk to us today about what we can do to delay aging. Hi, Prof Kennedy. Welcome to the show. Hi, and thanks for inviting me. So I think we all want to look and feel younger than we are. So is it actually possible to reverse aging? I completely believe that it's possible to slow aging, and we can already do that using many different strategies and animal models. But more recently, it seems that in certain aspects of aging, it may be possible to reverse the process. We need to start doing more clinical testing and human studies to try to validate that. But I think the future is very promising. Right, and that would be actually, you'd be talking about achieving a lower biological age, right? Yes, so you have really two ages. You have your chronologic age, and your passport is very good at identifying that. But you also have the rate at which you're really aging, and we call that biologic age. And you know this. You you look at people, and you know that you can look at two people who are 40 years old, and one of them looks a lot older than the other. But up until recently, it hasn't been possible to measure this in any meaningful way. And now, using analysis of how DNA is packed in, in cells in your blood or many other strategies, we can measure your biologic age. And now that we have that endpoint, we can use that to see if the interventions that we want to test are slowing the change of biologic age or even reversing it. I see. Interesting. So what can we actually do to achieve that, you know, to actually really look and feel younger than we are? There are many things you can do in your life right now that we think impact aging. The evidence on exercise is really dramatic. People that have cardiovascular exercise and maybe some resistance training, they just look like they're aging slower in a number of clinical studies that have been performed. It's not clear that you're going to extend the maximum lifespan by doing that, but I think we'll get many people closer to the maximum lifespan. And that's important because what we're really doing there is keeping people healthy longer. And I think that Mm -hmm. it's important to make a distinction between lifespan and health span. Lifespan is how long you live, and health span is how long you're healthy and functional and disease-free. And it's that latter measure that's really important. We don't want to keep people alive longer if they're unhealthy. What we want to do is keep them healthy as long as possible. Right. We kind of know that exercise helps, right? But, you know, I, I think it's not so easy for many people to exercise. So, you know, are there simple things that people can do, you know, perhaps walking just a little faster every day if they can? The important thing, and, and there are other things besides exercise I can come to as well, but the important thing with exercise is that you have to find sustainability. Uh, what I notice a lot is that people start an exercise program and they start going to the gym five days a week. And that's great. The problem is after three weeks, they're tired of it and don't continue. And so walking places when you otherwise might ride on the subway or in a taxi walking a little bit faster, walking a little bit further, all of these things are likely to provide some benefit. The answer, however, is that we don't know how much exercise you need to do to get the benefit yet. And that's one of the things we're doing in clinical studies here in Singapore is to try to understand that better. 
But the key feature with all of these lifestyle changes, exercise, diet, stress management, and sleep, is to develop strategies that are sustainable. Doing it for a month and stopping isn't going to help. You have to find ways to change your lifestyle over the long term to get the benefit. Right. Tell us about the research that you're doing here. So what we're trying to do is to really impact human aging. And there have been a lot of studies in animal models in the aging research field, and I've done some of them in my lab. And we found many different ways to make mice live healthy longer. We can do it through changes in diet, fasting, for instance. We can do it through making the mice exercise more. We can do it through supplements and drugs. And that's great. But what we really want to do is figure out which of those things translate to humans. So we're starting clinical studies here where we give people different interventions and use those biologic age markers to see if we're really moving the needle on human aging. And I think that's very important because if we can validate that we can change the rate of aging, especially with some strategy that's very healthy, we can really have a something that's very beneficial for Singapore because the aging demographics in Singapore are a bit scary right now. In 10 years, we're only going to have two working people for every retired person. And so that's an economic challenge to the country. It's also a major impact on quality of life of the population if all of those people over 65 have chronic diseases. So if we can develop strategies that we can implement in a widespread manner and keep people healthy longer, it's a huge benefit to Singapore. And actually, even if we just extend health span by five years, we can save billions of dollars. Right. The trials that you're doing, um, how long will they take? You know, so far, I mean, are there any of them that looks maybe more promising than the rest? Yeah, so we're just getting the human trials started. COVID-19 slowed us down a bit. But we're going to be doing short-term trials, so six to nine-month trials. And that's the advantage of using these biomarkers. I mean, the ideal strategy, if you had unlimited time, would be to give somebody something at 55 or 60 years old and see if they live longer. But those studies take a little bit too long. So uh, these biomarkers allow us to look in a very short term to see if we're evoking any kind of change. What are these biomarkers? So the most well-known one is called the methylation clock. So it measures the state of your DNA in your cells. So we can take somebody's cells, see where the methylation events are, and determine their biologic age. Now, there are other strategies we can use as well. There are probably five or six. But another one that I like a lot that we just had a paper come out on is predicting someone's biologic age by facial pattern analysis. So we use a fairly complicated camera to create a three-dimensional reconstruction of someone's face. And from that, we can estimate their biologic age. Now, the, the benefit of that is we don't even have to take a blood draw. We can just take a 90-second photograph of someone and get the data we need. So if that biomarker, and that's earlier stage, but if that biomarker becomes validated, then it's very easy to measure someone's rate of aging. So we're excited about things that are non-invasive. We don't want to have to do muscle biopsies to measure your age because people don't want to do that. It costs a lot of money. You have to have a lot of expertise to do it, and, you have, and to scale it, it's just not possible. Right. The photo that you mentioned, would that be, how does that work, looking at the wrinkles on the face or something like that? It measures about 35 different parameters of face. And then there's using artificial intelligence. It differentially weights those parameters to estimate biologic age. And so the wrinkles are not a big driver in it, really. It's been only validated so far in the Han Chinese population. But two of the main features that drive it are 
the slope of the eyes. I don't know if you've noticed this in people, but the slant of the eye declines with age. And then the mm -hmm. slope of the mouth as well. So people tend to have an upturned mouth when they're very young, and they tend to have a downturned mouth when they get older. Both of those really are looking at facial muscle function because it's muscle strength that maintains the shape of your mouth, for instance. And then there are other features too, like features around the eye, forehead length. Your forehead actually gets somewhat smaller with age. And so those are the things the computer picked out as important for measuring biologic age. The important question is, you know, if we try these interventions, will people start smiling again? I don't know. We'll, we'll find out. <laughs> <laughs> But you can change that, can't you, with like a plastic surgery or Botox well, perhaps? Yeah, so plastic surgery and Botox are things that make you look younger, but that we're interested in making you younger throughout your body and healthier. And so there are certainly cosmetic approaches to change those things, and that would probably interfere with our ability to measure biologic age using the facial pattern analysis parameters. So we haven't tried right. measuring aging on people that have had cosmetic surgery, but that would be an question. <laughs> Now, if you like what you're hearing so far, do subscribe to Health Check on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Now, back to our conversation with Professor Brian Kennedy. He's the director of the NUHS Center for Healthy Longevity. Right, Prof. You said uh, you know all this research that you're doing here in Singapore, right? So actually, you know, given that we have a, I guess, different climate and maybe elsewhere, you know, can you actually age better in Singapore than maybe in the West or you know somewhere else here? Well, in a way, people are aging better in Singapore. They're living very long. It's one of the longest-lived countries in the world. Women are living into their mid-80s as the average, and men above 80. But we don't really know why. And another uh, feature of our research is to try to look at the populations in Singapore and understand why they're aging well, and in some cases, why they're not aging well. There are a couple parameters of that that are interesting. One is that We have three different major ethnicities here in Singapore, the Chinese population, but also the Malay and the Indian population. And we really don't know that much about aging in those two latter populations. There have been studies done in the Chinese population in China and even some in the U.S. Uh, and of course, most of the studies are done in Caucasian and, and African-American populations in the U.S. But we haven't done much in Indian and Malay populations, so we need to collect that data. And then on top of that, you know, this is probably one of the only wealthy cities that is on the equator. And so it's a very interesting place to study aging. We don't have the seasonal patterns that places like where I grew up in the northern part of the U.S. The climate is very humid. And so how does that affect circadian rhythms? How does that affect exercise patterns? Obviously, the diet's also different here. Uh, there are a lot of parameters that are interesting related to aging that we don't understand yet. So a lot of fun research to do on Singapore. Ah, okay. So in this three years, like, what have you learned about aging in Singapore? Well, I think that it's the lifespan here is very long, and it's similar to Japan and Korea. And I think some of that is diet. You know, especially mm -hmm. the Chinese diet here is generally healthy compared to the Western diet. It's not perfect, uh, but it's generally healthy. And so there's people eat more vegetables. They don't eat as much meat. They have much uh, overall healthier diet proportions. Their portion sizes are better. There's less processed sugar and less dairy. And so I think that that's one component. Of course, you know, Singapore is a very good healthcare system too. So it, that's a second component to helping people live longer. But, you know, one thing that I find difficult here, and I noticed this myself, is 
trying to exercise is much harder here. And, you know, I, I'm a runner and I go outside and run. And it, it's very hard for me to run the same distance I can in the U.S. without just getting too hot and losing too much fluid. And so I think that the climate really impacts exercise. And so one thing that would be good is to figure out strategies to help people exercise more uh, in this climate. It's misleading, though, to say that it takes more time to exercise. Because if you're eating right and exercising, what you find is you have more energy and you'll probably be more productive in the time you're working. You'll probably sleep better. You may not need to sleep as much because you'll have better quality sleep. So people think that, well, if I add 30 minutes of exercise a day, it's going to make my life more difficult. But actually, a lot of people find that they're much more efficient when they do that. Right. So it's making But, the effort to exercise. Yeah, and there's an activation barrier too. I think that's the big challenge is that to really get that benefit of exercise, you have to keep at it for a while until you get your body a little bit trained to, you know, and adapted to the exercise. And that's when you start seeing the benefits. So I think a lot of people try it for four to six weeks and, you know, they don't really feel different, taking a lot of time, and then they give up. But if you stick with it for two or three months, I think people start to really see benefits. Right. So when it comes to, we're talking about aging and exercise, right? Is there like a certain age that you should start? I mean, will it work if, you know, I've never exercised my whole life and then I start exercising at maybe 55 or 60? Yeah, there's a perfect age to start exercise and that's now. <laughs> it, really doesn't matter. it really doesn't matter what your age is. Uh, even people that are frail, you know, exercise mm -hmm. can benefit them to some extent. Now, you have to tailor the exercise to the capabilities of the person. So if you're 75 and you have an exercise, you should start slow, maybe see your doctor, make sure you're, you understand your health parameters. But certainly exercise is beneficial for everybody. And uh, the, finding a healthy way to incorporate it in your life will generate benefits, not just in the future, but now as well. You know, we have an obesity epidemic in the U.S. So 40% of the population is obese, 60% is overweight. And that's reducing life expectancy in the U.S. It's actually gone, average life expectancy has gone down over the last couple of years, which has never been seen in the U.S. in decades. And so I think that that's interesting. Now, when you look at the Singapore population, there's much less obesity, and that's one reason people may live longer. But there's also something called skinny diabetes here. So a lot of people have high fat content, but they're not obese. So they store fat in other tissues because they can't store it as easily in the adipose tissue. And so that is a major concern that's increasing in prevalence in Singapore. And it can have just as deleterious effects on aging as uh, the standard obesity. So I think that there's this feeling that, oh, I'm not really overweight, so I'm not going to have diabetes or metabolic disease. But that actually is not true here in this population. Some people that are not overweight can't have the disease. Right. That's to do with genetics or the food that we eat? It's probably genetics. And there's a lot of effort to try to understand why the development of disease is different in the populations here than in the Western, the Caucasian population. Interesting. So in the end, it's about exercising, eating well, which we will talk about in the next episode, and then sleeping well, right? Yeah. So Prof, do you see a future when we can pop a pill to retard the aging process? Well, that's one of the things we're trying. We're testing different supplements, and ultimately, we're going to test drugs that we think are going to slow or reverse aging. And, and I think this is an important point, is that right now, we don't really do healthcare very well. To me, healthcare is preventative medicine. What we do is sick care. We wait till you get some disease, and then we try to treat that disease. 
Now, if that's an acute disease or an infectious disease, we're pretty good at treating it. Most viruses, we can help manage a person's health until the virus goes away. We can treat most bacterial infections. But with chronic diseases of aging, we're not so good at that. And so what we do is you come in sick and we keep you sick for a very long time uh, because the medicine keeps you alive longer, but it doesn't necessarily bring you back to health. And so by doing interventions to slow aging, I see that more as true health care. We're trying to keep you healthy before you get sick. So the people we want to look at are to start with, especially are people like between 50 and 65, not yet have multiple chronic diseases, but they're at risk of disease. And so those are the people we think could, we can dramatically help. And if we can find a, a pill that helps them stay healthy longer, I think it can really revolutionize how we think about medicine because we're not going to wait until something's wrong. We're going to intervene earlier and make sure nothing goes wrong. And I think that's a much better way to live your life. Yeah, that sounds really attractive. But, you know, how far ahead in the future can we expect something like that? I don't know that it'll be that far ahead. We have things we can test now. Some of them are natural products that are already approved for use and on the market. Other drugs we are testing, are we know they're pretty safe. And so I think it's just a matter right now of validating that some of these strategies work in humans. And that's kind of where we are right now. We know a lot of things that work in mice, but we don't know which ones are going to translate to humans. Now, I think there are enough different possibilities that some of them will definitely work in humans, but I don't think anyone knows for sure which ones yet. That's the key next step is to do these studies where we can validate the effectiveness of interventions in humans. And then once we achieve that, then I think it's just a matter of how do we get them into more widespread use. And now there may be more exotic things, you know, in the future, like stem cell regenerative therapies, organ replacement, gene therapy. All these things are also being studied. But I'm confident that we can have a very significant effect with some of the interventions that we've already discovered, which have very good safety profiles. So I'm hopeful that you know, I'm 53. I, you know, I'm hopeful that I can benefit from this. Right. So in a few years' time, possibly, that's my you hope. can actually go to a doctor to get something that to prevent, say, diabetes or hypertension. Yeah, or maybe not even go to a doctor. I mean, some of these things are uh, natural products. You can buy them online. They're already safe. You don't need a prescription. Look, aging is not inevitable. It may happen ultimately, but you can modify the rate at which you're aging by changing your lifestyle and maybe in the near future taking supplements or drugs. But right now you can do things already to have an effect on aging. So, you know, a lot of people believe that you can't change the aging process, but actually it's highly malleable, I think. And people should look at strategies to stay healthier now. Right. So we can start today exercise, eat well, sleep well. Yeah. All right. Thanks for your tips, Prof. Uh, anytime. Well, that's a wrap for Health Check. We hope you like this anti-aging tips from Professor Brian Kennedy, the director of the NUHS Center for Healthy Longevity. Do watch out for our next episode with him on anti-aging diets. Thanks for listening. That was an SBH podcast by The Straits Times. Find us on Spotify, Apple or Google Podcasts or streaming on Google Home. Do feedback to us at podcast.sbh.com.sg. You can also check out more podcasts on various topics at The Straits Times, The Business Times and Money FM 89.3.